Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian. This podcast version of our interview is brought to you by L3 Technologies. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian here in Northern Virginia, where we're at the Kipps DeSanto Investment Bank that just released its first annual survey of merger and acquisition trends in aerospace defense, as well as the government market. And we're honored to be talking to uh, the managing director, one of the two managing directors and co-founder uh, of uh, Kipps DeSanto, Kevin DeSanto. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Vago. I appreciate it. Uh, a real pleasure. En very much enjoyed the report. Ten pages, very, very to the point. It's the first time you guys have sort of waded out and doing a, a study like this as one of the most prominent people in the space. You guys do about 300 deals a year, which is, which is, which is, uh, which is, which is great. A lot of experience between you, uh, Bob Kipps, and and your team here. But talk to us a little bit about what are the top takeaways uh, you guys found in doing this survey. You know, talking to other deal makers and talking to other folks in the sector in order to sort of shape this sort of M&A lay down for the next year? It's an interesting sector, as you well know, and we saw a number of trends over the course of the last four or five years that we were trying to get a view from the other side of the table on. And, uh, you know, we go back and you look at uh, 2012, 13 tax law changes. We saw the sequestration and the entire kind of Budget Control Act come to fruition in 2013 with the government shutdown. And the M&A market was just sort of in a weird place. There wasn't as much activity. The pricing wasn't as strong as what we had seen historically. And so we said, what's been transpiring here over the last three, four, five years as we've recovered from that vantage point? And we see it. We hear it from our clients. And what we were really looking for was, what's the macro view from the buyer side of the table, from the investor side of the table, trying to put our finger on the pulse of what people are seeing, why they're making the investments, why the volume is the way that it is today. And as, as again, you know, this is a, an industry that we put into one bucket, aerospace, defense, government. But these are really distinct markets, and there's really distinct trends that occur within Absolutely. each of those sectors. And so uh, we just thought this would be a neat way to pull all that together in, and do it in a way that we hadn't seen before. And uh, we're really excited about the results. We had 168 uh, uh, senior uh, folks respond. Uh, about 100 of those were from strategic buyers, so your corporate executives, and then about 65 of those were from the private equity side. And uh, as you guys have seen in the news over the course of the past few years, the private equity uh, involvement in these sectors has really continued to grow and be a significant part of the volume. So we were pleased to see that we got both sides of that. Um, and that's interesting for our clients as well, because they're looking at these options uh, in ways that they hadn't historically. Right. And so uh, from a takeaway vantage point, I think uh, the key for us is really um, the, the overall economy. Um, we hear it, we see it in the news. 90% um, of the respondents were positive on where we sit today and where we're heading. Right. Uh, we thought that was really a telling sign. Um, a significant portion of the folks that responded indicated that the budget, the defense budget, the government, federal budget in general, uh, was a significant driver. Eighty-plus percent said that, that they factor that into their M&A uh, decisions. Um, you know, those are significant macro trends that we see. And then you start to think about what else is out there, what else could be uh, influencing how they uh, are thinking about their M&A activity. 
Uh, in particular, the tax cuts uh, from last year were something that uh, that went into effect at the tail end of last year were something that was really driving folks to think about how they were going to allocate capital in a way that might have been different historically, where you've got a lower tax rate, uh, you know, more free cash flow, more opportunity to invest. And M&A is the area where people are choosing, the majority are choosing to, to invest more dollars in M&A as a result of that, because that's where you get your greatest bang for your buck. You get it in a shorter term. Think about it compared to CapEx or IR&D or paying down pension uh, obligations. When you go out and get the M&A, you know, quarter by quarter, year by year, you're seeing the, the net benefits of that. We also saw that um, folks really um, think about public valuations uh, in the context of their M&A activity. So uh, the markets have been pretty receptive to this industry over the course of the last few years, uh, in particular relative to, to other sectors. And uh, the companies, the public companies in the sector right now are priced uh, high relative to historical norms. And uh, we think that that's a direct reflection of the budget environment, the overall economy, the lower tax rates. And then we have uh, kind of the added factor, particularly interesting to the private equity side, which is that the, um, the uh, cost of debt and the availability of, of debt in this marketplace is as robust as we've ever seen it. And so we've got uh, an incredible amount of funding in the marketplace that's chasing deals that is in the M&A game. And we think that that really showed in this report, given the positive nature of the response. Um, and if you look at em enterprise values, right, I mean, everything is running at really pretty historic uh, uh, levels. Uh, and, uh, and it's interesting that there's still that kind of demand uh, for deals. Let's talk a little bit about some of the specifics in the defense sector, the aerospace sector, and government services, because as you said, uh, there are some common drivers, but there are also individual drivers in each one of them. So let's start in defense. What are some of the key trends you guys are seeing as you sort of look at you know, how folks responded to things and what that means for the future? One of the interesting parts of the defense response was that C4ISR is a pri primary focus area for that group. And I would boil that down to a significant push for folks to be in advanced technologies. That is, um, for, for the, the market that we're in, the types of companies that we're seeing, the, the processes that, uh, that we're a, a part of, the idea of being in a more advanced technology position is something that's really, really seen as critical within the defense sector. Um, so we're uh, looking at uh, companies that have intellectual property or might be embedded within a certain platform. Um, with the budget dynamics playing out the way that they are, there's a lot of opportunity when you've got that type of embedded position or a differentiated technology solution. So C4ISR is driving a lot of that activity on the, uh, on the defense side. Um, if you think about it on the government services side, it's a little bit different. We think that there is a, um, a, a, a sort of optimal uh, uh, recovery or fallout from the um, size and scale of these businesses. So we're starting to see more activity uh, around larger deals in the government government side of things, your traditional services or labor-based businesses. And that tends to be um, what we see here in the early part of 2018 in terms of the deal volume. The 100 plus million dollar transactions are happening at a greater clip this year than they have historically. So we think that scale is a, a big part of the game on that side. Um, and what about on the uh, aerospace uh, side of things? Because they do commingle and bump into one another, but they still have some different different drivers. Yeah, it seems like embedded systems uh, or subsystems where, again, it's really platform specific. Uh, that, that tends to be what we heard and saw from the respondents as to where their primary focus areas are. 
And what about government services? Uh, on the government side, cybersecurity, uh, that's a, a buzzword for, for almost everybody in the sector right now. That's a, a big driver of where people want to be. Uh, next generation IT is another term that a lot of the buyers are using to try to position themselves, whether it is in mobile or data analytics or in other areas where you're uh, modernizing the structure. I, I tend to think about it a lot with respect to cloud. Uh, and there's a lot of obviously uh, major opportunities coming down the pike within the defense and uh, fed civil parts of the federal government market where we're going to have these big cloud-based contracts and big cloud-based uh, cloud deployments that are out there. So that's something that we think is really uh, a big factor in the next uh, few years in terms of what people will be looking for. And, and in some respects, it's sort of, you know, back to the future because you find a lot of heritage names that are back in that. AT&T, of course, you know, very, very big in that in that space. Just did a podcast with the Air Force Association on that topic and uh, AT&T uh, uh, folks were, were on that discussion. Um, let me ask you, you know, you talked about the tax side of things. Everybody is um, let, let me take you to the broader economic success sure. part of this, um, because you know the, the market in some ways is a lagging indicator. Everything is fine until the minute it's not fine, right. and right. and everybody's like, "Hey, this is all going great," uh, and every once in a while there's somebody who's going like, "I think this is not as great." Uh, and now there are a lot of concerns. There are trade war concerns. Cost of materials are rising. Um, you know, it was a theoretical issue until a little while ago, uh, but now it's something becoming something more concrete. Uh, companies always have uh, plans in their hip pocket. There are those who say, for example, Harley Davidson was thinking about doing these sorts of moves beforehand. But then there is a trigger. There is a trade war that starts that that causes things to change. As you look at this space. Uh, and you look at some of the concerns, you know, if you look at some of the bond yields and other volatility indices, we're running real high and we've had a great 10 years. Uh, and folks are looking at, you know, maybe time for a correction. Uh, has anybody been talking correction? And how does a correction manifest itself? You know, and, and you can even see some storm clouds on the defense budget front where everybody's pretty much made it clear that, you know, there's going to be one more big year of money, but then we're, we're going to kind of flatten out. How do, you, how do you see these two dynamics, knowing that you're also a broker-dealer so that you have a little bit of right. prognostication limit uh, on, 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 on you? You know, tell us about how those two factors uh, may, may be shaping how people uh, should be thinking about the future. It's easiest to look at that through the lens of M&A for us, right? Because that's really the focus of our business. And when we think about that, all of those uh, factors that you're talking about and, and add into it the geopolitical dynamics um, that are at play, um, there, there's so many puts and takes across all of that. And when we think about the budget, um, you know, there's there's the political cycle that we have to think about as well. We have midterm elections coming up and a presidential election a couple of years after that. So there's bound to be something that happens. And that's been my experience in 20 plus years doing this across this industry is that there's always something that's happening out there that's driving good, bad, or indifferent behavior. But we tend to see M&A volume maintain itself across all of those, irrespective of how difficult it might be or how challenging some of those uh, examples of what you described earlier might be. Um, the reality is these business models are significantly geared towards acquisition activity. They are generally high cash flow. They are generally in a position where they can deploy that cash flow into buying new customers or new capabilities that are going to help them down the road. Um, they've generally been well received by the public market, so there's been 
plenty of financing uh, capacity there. And they're viewed as stable long-term assets relative to a lot of other industries. So you can look at the banks and the debt financing side of it as well. Um, relative to the rest of the economy, we might be a little bit of a counter-cyclical uh, part of that market when it comes to M&A. Or we might be a pocket of uh, positive activity because of the fact that we've got this stable, visible uh, environment that we operate within. Um, when you, um, there were a lot of folks who started doing deals anticipating the upswing. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when we saw a little bit of motion and folks certainly were putting strategic planning and investment in. Yeah. Um, as some clouds do develop, you know, there was a lot of discussion on the Hill, right? Uh, debt servicing increases, you know, it, it's, it's a great economy, uh, but borrowing rates are, are sort of going up and I'd like mm -hmm. to get a little bit of your take on how that affects the sector. But, you know, are folks already starting to move to beef or slim down in anticipation of what they're seeing uh, out there, right? Because just like you want to gear up to be ready for that ramp and extra spending, you also may want to reshape your portfolio if you expect a flattening or a declining, particularly in, in areas that might not be seen as cool, right? I mean, you talked about C4 yeah. ISR, for yeah. example. Shipbuilding is very hot right now and you yeah. can't get enough capability, but there may be some other adjustments in the portfolio. You know, cyber is still very hot, but some other adjustments folks might want to make in their portfolios. Are, are you seeing that kind of activity at this we point? Sure are. I mean, think about just a couple of the bigger deals of the last year. Um, the Northrop Orbital uh, merger uh, that we saw, uh, and then General Dynamics buying CSRA. Um, you know, these are just uh, th these are the big deals that sort of move the needle and give a lot of visibility to the space. And I think you can sort of see that there's an optimism inherent in those act actions. There's a there's an opportunity inherent within in there, whether it's cost cutting and synergies or whether it is uh, you know taking on new markets and new customers that are well funded and and look really positive from a budget vantage point. Uh, the interesting part about this is when we look at the M&A activity, you can spot different strategies respective of the market. We've seen folks divesting assets over the last couple of years despite the the, the positive movement. Um, and then we've seen, you know, the large mergers. We've seen t small tuck-in acquisitions. Uh, we've seen some of the um, larger companies uh, start to think more about intellectual property and uh, new technology areas. Think about a, an area like uh, underwater unmanned systems, right? The, just some of the newer things that are coming down the pike when it comes to the technology side of things. So we're, we're seeing it all right now which I think is really interesting. It's not sort of one obvious trend. If you go back to 2008, 9, 10, you know, there was an obvious trend to sort of uh, break up the organizational conflict of interest. Um, and it, it, we're just not seeing any real strong trend in one direction right now, other than it's good to be big. Uh, I'd say that that's one of the, one, one of the things that we're seeing. Uh, and, and outside of that, it's really about getting to that next generation technology. Um, you uh, watch all of these trends like Hawk. You mentioned Northrop, uh, 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 their deal uh, with ATK, and, and obviously the other one was uh, GD. Uh, we've also seen some other uh, big deals that the government has allowed, which some folks see as precedent and opening a door on the defense side, albeit the rules are a little bit different, right? Standard antitrust rules don't apply, so if DOD does go in and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm okay with this transaction, uh, it'll, it'll go through. How have some of the government's decision-making, you know, how do you think that affects the space? You know, there's always a uh, concern people have that uh, the M&A approach will get more restrictive and folks study the consent decree, for example, what we saw at Orbital ATK. As you look at the whole totality of the space and the directions, do, do you see any sort of government trimming of antitrust sales here? Or do you think that you know, as long as you're you're meeting the the measure of you know what still includes competition. 
position, you're going to be able to get your deals through. It seems like that. I mean, you could argue that um, you know you have challenges just by nature of the size of some of these programs in and of themselves, right? The size of a, a program inside of one of these large primes is bigger than many companies are. And so there, there's lots of complications when it comes to that. Um, I think the one thing that we've seen um, that could have some impact more broadly is the idea of foreign investment in the U.S. being more limited than what we uh, may have seen in the past, or at least being more closely looked at. Um, we've experienced some extensions on timelines for deals where we've had foreign buyers, and that's a, that's an area I think for us to just keep an eye on as we execute and look at what the potential buyer universe is for some of the companies. And that's obviously around higher technology types of organizations or around um, uh, intelligence or defense-related assets versus things that might be more commercial or, or not as high a tech uh, in that regard. Um, you know, one of the other things that we're seeing that's interesting, just for, uh, purely from a deal structuring vantage point that we talked about in our uh, survey, is the use of rep and warranty insurance in transactions. While not purely a regulatory item, um, this is a game changer for doing M&A transactions to have insurance come in and basically backstop the uh, indemnity obligations of uh, sellers in, in, in these transactions. And that has been uh, a fascinating market to watch. It's gone from zero, three, four or five years ago to a predominant factor in almost every deal that we've done in the last 12 to 18 months. And so we're uh, seeing some innovative things happen within the market. And yeah, I think the insurance concept is one that uh, has really changed dramatically over the course of the last couple of years. And we saw that with the reverse Morris Trust, right? I mean, for a while, everybody was like, wow, you know, these companies have so much debt. How on earth do they, you know, n nobody's going to do big deals because nobody will know how to handle the debt on them. Right. And then boom, Solution. Yep, absolutely, and that, that's you know the <laughs> kudos to folks for coming up with creative ways to do that because it just keeps the energy going in the market when we can get these larger deals at these larger valuations or higher valuations. Uh, it has a direct trickle down effect to the smaller deals in the space. And let me ask you one last question: uh, when you when you have a CSRA or you have an orbital ATK, that tends to spur responses, right? I mean, guys, you know, they get a certain first mover advantage. Uh, if you're the last mover, like sort of a Lockheed Northrop, you get caught in the door. But it tends to spark some motion. Do you think that those two transactions in particular, as well as a move, for example, like Boeing on APUs, right? I mean, this is sort of going back to uh, the breakup of the yeah. Boeing company and United Aircraft and, you know, where, where we saw, you know, you can't have United Airlines, United Aircraft and Boeing and all be one ecosystem. So there was that big breakup in the 1930s. Now you see Boeing sort of getting more vertical uh, in terms of its capacity, right? Verticality is something that that company has been talking about for a while, but other folks have been talking about it. So talk to us a little bit about these two trends. Is there a spark to greater activity because of some of these deals? And then are moves like a giant like Boeing becoming more vertical how does that affect the space, given that you know it's it's the biggest uh, player in the space? These things tend to, or at least personally, seem cyclical, right? Where we go through, we want to have it uh, split up, and then we want to have it vertically integrated, and you sort of go back and forth depending on the decade or the the, the competitive conditions. It does seem now that we're seeing a, a good, solid push towards creating efficiencies, controlling your suppliers, being able to optimize the delivery, uh, particularly when it comes to the platforms. So we do see and think that that's going to be a continued trend. Um, you know, there's certain systems or suppliers that are going to start to consolidate and become maybe an outsourced version of that. And so that helps drive and spur a lot of the M&A activity as well. And then uh, what you typically see when that happens is the private equity groups will start, start to go out and they will start to build or mimic those businesses here over the next two, three, four, five years so that they are building 
four or five hundred million dollar organizations that are able to then be acquired by some of those larger buyers in that vertical integration strategy. So we'll see that be a significant driver of the market here over the next uh, few years. The um, example that you used with respect to uh, GD acquiring a CSRA, I think that um, the, the scale concept in question that I mentioned earlier is one that's really important in that uh, context because it, it really is uh, where the market is today in terms of optimizing their ability to compete, particularly on the government services side. So when you have that uh, sort of scale driving your ability to lower your costs and be more competitive or bring more resources to bear, there's an absolute fundamental benefit to that. So others have to catch up and figure out how to do the same thing. Um, what we have to look at and what we have to understand and what will probably drive the M&A activity over the next few years is they still have to grow when they get to five, eight, 10, $12 billion a year in revenue. And I think growing organically at those scales is really difficult. And so again, M&A becomes a natural component of what these uh, folks are looking to do. And I think that's, a, again, a big part of what we saw in the survey is that 45% uh, of the respondents said that they plan to do more deals than they have done, uh, than they did last year. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're just going to see, a, we think, a, a pickup in volume across aerospace, defense, and government services as a result of that. Uh Kevin DeSanto, uh, Managing Director here at Kips DeSanto, uh, leading investment bank in the center. Uh, congratulations on the report. We're gonna, there's going to be a link of it on the website so folks can find it easily. Thanks very much, and, and best of luck in a very exciting time. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.